Well, good morning. My name is Mike Daniels, and I'm one of the pastors here. We welcome those who are joining us online. And I'll just say this, as Bruce just mentioned, I am never been more proud of Cross Point Church than yesterday when I saw hundreds of people out sharing the good news of a saving God with the community. We showed the love of Jesus in a practical way. And uh, one of the guys gave me a little ribbing uh, earlier and said, well, why wasn't your face on any of those pictures? I said, well, I gave them a bunch of them. I don't know what happened. I'll have to talk to them about that. It was a good day yesterday. And man, I looked back at this summer and where has it gone? The last five weeks have gone really, really fast, at least for me. Perhaps for you, it's like, no, it's gone by really slow. I've had good news and bad news for you this morning. The good news is that Dr. James Merritt will be back next week. The bad news is you got me one more week. So this morning, uh, he takes a couple of weeks off to refresh and decompress every July. And this July, we has been no different. And we've been studying the book of Jonah. So we are going to finalize Jonah. If you have uh, your Bible with you, I encourage you to uh, turn to Jonah. It's considered a minor prophet. The reason it's a minor prophet is it's small. It's a small book. In fact, uh, compared to like a Jeremiah, it's a very small book, four chapters, 48 verses. See if you can find it. Go to Matthew in the New Testament at the end of the Old Testament, Malachi, and go back about seven or eight books and you'll find it. Today we're going to conclude our series on Jonah. This is the last of five sermons. And uh, as our pastor is away relaxing, let me ask you the question this morning. How do you decompress? How do you relax? Perhaps uh, all of us always try to take a vacation. What about um, watch a movie? Are you movie watchers? Maybe you take a drive or a run or a walk or maybe you garden. Some of you may even like to read a little bit to relax. In fact, when I was a child, I liked to read three things. I liked to read the sports page of the paper, and I liked to read comic books. That showed you my mental ascent. I really liked a comic book. Jughead was one of my favorites. I got some people laughing at me, not with me right now. Okay, and then the third thing is I like to read books that were called Choose Your Own Adventure books. Perhaps you've heard of them before. These books are easy to read, and they begin in the first chapter uh, setting up the story, and they set up the character, and they set up the plot line and the adventure. And then the cool thing about these books is the reader helps in making the decisions for the character. And depending on those decisions that are made, the ending, the outcome is different every time. Now, for example, the main character would come to a fork in the road and he has to make a decision to go left toward the mountain, or he'd have to make a decision to go right toward the river. And depending on what choice you made, you said, Hey, I want to go down to the, I want to go up to the mountain. I'll pick page, I could turn to page 76 and I'll continue reading. Or if you want to go to the river, you would go to page 83 and continue reading. And the story evolved over the course of time. And each decision led to more and more possible endings. Now, some books had as many as 44 different endings based on which choices you as the reader made for the character in the story. And I was captivated by how my decisions determine the ending of the story. Now, Jonah seems like he could have been a pretty good character, could pretty good book for one of these types of books. Choose your own adventure, Jonah style. 
Can you imagine just for a moment, and some of you have been with us for the last five weeks, and you'll, you'll be able to get this real, real clearly, and some of you are saying, hey, I, I'm going to catch up with you here. If Jonah had obeyed God, imagine if Jonah had obeyed God in chapter one. Instead of fleeing the presence of the Lord, he obeyed. He went to Nineveh. God saved the wicked, cruel, pagan nation, and Jonah marries a Ninevite and has beautiful Ninevite children. The end. Imagine if your story, if the lots, remember the smooth stalled, uh, smooth dice-like stones that were used to determine who in the boat was causing this storm. Imagine if those lots or those small stones had fallen on the captain and not on Jonah. What would they have done? The sailors would have thrown the captain overboard. Jonah would have come up from the belly of that ship and he would have saved the crew members and he would have been hailed a hero. And everyone lived happily after after. The end. Suppose just for a moment that the sailors had refused to throw Jonah overboard and God's wrath continued upon the boat. It broke it up. The ship sunk and the crew was lost. The end. Possible ending. Imagine if the big fish was actually a hungry great white shark and Jonah and the crew felt the full ramifications of what those razor sharp teeth would have felt like. The end. You see, that's what's so fascinating about the book of Jonah is there's so many twists and turns that we see this prophet who hates a city that God has called him to go and preach this message of salvation to. And Jonah hates the idea. Nineveh was cruel and barbaric and idol worshiping. It was the enemy, hostile enemy of God. And Jonah didn't want to go and save it. In fact, Jonah disobeys the call and he finds a ship and he goes in the exact opposite direction of the will of God away from the presence of the Lord. And a raging storm appears out of nowhere, a storm that even the seasoned mariners had never seen before. And the sailors, they recognize that Jonah is the cause of the storm, and they throw Jonah overboard because they recognize that he is the one who's causing all this mess. And now in the water, sinking like a rock, Jonah is deep in sin, far from shore, alone, isolated, and desperate. And he senses, he loses sense of all reality and he wakes to find himself what he thinks is in hell. But then he finds out he's actually in the belly of a big old fish, a God appointed fish. And he recognizes that God's compassion and mercy has saved him. And he prays to the Lord in the midst of that fish and he prays for deliverance. And he finds himself vomited up on dry land. And with a new lease on life, Jonah gets a second chance to obey the Lord and his call to Nineveh. And so he sets out to Nineveh the second time, the place that he hates and the place that God has called him to, and he preaches in the Hebrew a five-word message. Our English Bible gives us an eight-word message of doom and destruction that in 40 days, God will destroy all of Nineveh unless they turn from their wickedness. Jonah had one ending in mind for this story. It was a story of destruction, destruction of Nineveh, the end. But God, God changed the ending of the story because the Ninevites chose to believe and turn from their wickedness. And this morning, that is where we pick up our story today. We pick up our story in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. If you found that in your Bible, I encourage you to pick it up and let's just simply read Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. And when God saw the, what they did, 
how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, Now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out, in verse 5, went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Now, the Lord God appointed a plan and made it come up over Jonah that it made, might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and he said, It is better for me to die than to live. Verse 9. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and oh, also much cattle. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning as we look into your word, would you allow the pages of the scriptures, your holy word, to just simply speak? Allow me this morning to get out of your way that you might use me simply to be an instrument of grace to these, your people. Teach us now and allow us to hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, as you think through this picture, we've read these pictures, and what I've done over the last couple of weeks is I've simply just allowed the scriptures to to resonate over us and land over us, and that's why I've read large chunks of it, because I want the Bible to speak. I don't want this to be persuasive speech or, or notes that I have. I want it to be something that you hear the word directly from the Lord. And in chapter three, it closes with this idea of God relenting from the promised destruction of Nineveh. And I want you to see this morning, When God works, and I believe he will, we will make decisions and the question will always come up, how will my story, how will your story end? When God works, how will my story end? We see in the end of chapter three that God has relented. Look in verse 10. When God saw what they had done, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he has said he would do to them and he did not do it. When you see God work, and you will, how will you react? How will you respond? How will you navigate the future? And at the end, how will your story end? You see, the points of this sermon this morning are going to just end up in questions. They're going to be questions for us to answer over the course of our time together. When God works, the first question is this, how will you react? Let's look back in verse 1. 
But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. What displeased him? That God had relented from the the wrath that he was going to give Nineveh had it not turned. And it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Here we have a prophet of God. He has seen past success of preaching salvation to multiple kings. And the latest of these kings is the king of Nineveh. Chapter 3 tells us this. And he is pounding his fist here. He is throwing a two-year-old fit. It says, the Bible says he is exceedingly angry. He is stomping his feet. And he almost raises his fist to God and says, I knew I couldn't trust you. I knew I couldn't trust you. Here is depravity. It's sin at its finest. We see a temper tantrum taking place. We see irrational anger. We, We see irrational anger, a racist anger. How could these foreigners be saved when they are wretched and cruel and brutal? How could you do that, God? And this reaction by Jonah, as we read it from the text, it almost stops us in our tracks. Who does he think he is? Here is his, he's getting mad at the creator, at the God, the creator of the universe, the one whose word uh, commands the waves and the sea and the sea creatures and the wind. The God who pursues and saves and provides, how dare he? Who even does that? And when God works, even in our lives, when he works, especially when it's not according to our plan, how will you and I react this morning? That's the first question. The second question is like unto it. How will you respond when God works? How will you respond? Look in verse two. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. And and Jonah shows us a little bit of his priorities here this morning. He says, hey, listen, I'm gonna show little regard for your work, God, because you know what? The question is, how will you and I respond when we see God working, even if it defies logic or our own ambitions or our desires? And Jonah's showing a little bit of, he's tipping his cap a little bit to the fact that if he loved God, he would love the things of God. And this morning, how will you and I respond when God calls us to do something that does not, does not exactly match our own desires? You see, God showed his love to these pagan people, and the, these Ninevites, by sending Jonah with a message of salvation. And Jonah was aware of the plan. Just like you and I, we have this idea of what God wants us to do. And many of you followed through yesterday with CP Serves. We are aware of his plan. We are well well aware of the very nature and character of God, just like Jonah was. Verse 2, look what he says. He gives a description of God here. He says, for I knew you, God. I knew that you are a gracious God. And you are merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And you are relenting from disaster. You see here, you see a a perfect picture, a great statement of of God's identity is repeated nine different times in nine different places in the Old Testament. This was a known statement in the day. And sadly, Jonah knows God's nature, but he is disappointed with this God. Verse 3, therefore now he says, oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to live than for, for me to die than to live. You see, in this moment, he has had an unbelievable 24 hours, maybe 48 hours, I don't know, but it's been a, a, a whole lot packed into a couple of days. And here we are, we see Jonah, he is drained physically, emotionally, mentally, psychologically, spiritually. He is exhausted in every way. 
He's tired. He's whipped. He's been through the ringer. Or perhaps we could coin a new phrase, he's been through the fish. Maybe we could come home and, you know, you throw your keys on the table and just go, you know, I've been through the fish today. Maybe as a result of this study, you say, I've been through the fish, and that's exactly what's taking place. He wants to give up. He says, it's better for me to die than to live. In fact, I remember the moment that I crossed the finish line of the Marine Corps Marathon in Washington, D.C., and I remember my friends always saying, this, the first marathon, man, it's, it's brutal. And you get to the finish line, you cross it, you stick your chest out, you go across the tape of the finish line, and there is euphoria that comes over you. I crossed the finish line of that marathon. I threw up and went to lay down. There was no euphoria. I was done, D-U-N, done. And Jonah is done. Verse four, and the Lord says, do you do well to be angry? Uh, look at, look at the, just the questioning, the, the conversation between God and Jonah. Do you do well to be angry? Jonah knows God with his head, but not his heart. And he is certainly not pursuing the very things of God. And when God works, how will you respond? Will you be angry as Jonah was? How, how will you react? How will you respond? Will you seek to die and sulk because God's not doing it your way? And and the third question this morning is how will you navigate the future based on what God decides? Verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. We have this idea that he went up onto like a hillside and looks over the city and he sat under it in the shade. He built this lean-to, this hut. And he sat in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Now, I want you to look here. Jonah expected this new faith of the Ninevites. He expected the Ninevites to abandon that new faith. And then what would take place? He's up there. He's sipping on a drink. He's sitting in his lawn chair under this hut. And he is expecting them to turn from their new faith. And then he, they would abandon God. And then God would come in with his fury and destroy it. Drop the hammer. It's almost like that fly that gets right up next to that bug zapper on the porch. Just a little bit closer, a little bit. You are waiting for that. It's almost like watching a movie where the bad guys are winning and you know that the Rock Johnson is right around the corner. He's about to drop the hammer and that's what he's doing. He's watching. Jonah is watching. He's waiting for those people to make their first and last wrong move. He made a hut. But it's still hot outside. In verse 6, now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it may be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. He's sitting in a hut that's still not exactly providing him comfort and God provides a plant. And this is the first time we see Jonah actually smile. He had it made in the shade. This big leafy plant covered Jonah. It was an instrument of grace. It was an instrument of grace that was undeserved that God just gave Jonah. In verse seven, but when dawn came by the next day, God appointed a worm. He, he appointed, just like he appointed the fish, just like he appointed a storm, just like he appointed these, he appointed a worm 
that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed another appointment. He appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked, what he, he asked that he might die. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. And poor fella, I kind of feel bad for the guy because he never really gets a clue that God is at work here, that God has a plan for all the things going on in his life, that God appointed a plant. He appointed a plant to give him some shade. In fact, this was a jack in the beanstalk type of plant. Overnight, 24 hours, he grew up overnight. It was huge. It, it provided him shade. You see, this was a gracious act of God, just like the calming of the seas were for the sailors. It was a gracious act of God, just like the fish was that came and saved Jonah from the depths of the ocean. And just like God sparing Nineveh, this was an act of grace. Yet Jonah didn't recognize it. He was mad. He sat there and he just said, let me die. He said that two different times already in the passage. Plain and simple, folks, this morning, people matter more than plants. Stay with me just for a moment. It seems like God is using this worm, doesn't it? It seems like God is using this worm to punish Jonah. But in actuality, what's taking place is God is using this worm to save Jonah from having a plant-centered life. Now, take this moment. Jonah wanted God to remove. Think with me. Jonah wanted God to remove Jonah's grace. He wanted to sit on the hillside and watch them have a calamitous end. But he did not want God to remove his own act of grace, which was a plant. Jonah, you see, was a plant-centered person. And a plant-centered person is a person so fixated on the good gifts from God that he or she ends up loving the gifts more than the giver of the gifts. And this is idolatry. When, let me say this one more time. I want you to get this. A plant-centered person, someone that is focused on the gifts of God, so fixated on the good gifts from God that he ends up loving the gifts more than the giver of the gifts. That is a plant-centered person. Now, what are those good gifts? We all have them. The Lord has been gracious to everybody in this room. There is good gifts, friends and family, money and position, Georgia football, I had to throw that in before the pastor got back. All right, Georgia football, education, title, achievements, social status, vacations, children's extracurricular activities, and sports. All of those are good gifts. They're good gifts from a loving God, but when taken more important than God himself, it becomes sin. It becomes an idol. Now, the question how will you navigate the future when God works in your life even when it's not exactly what you wanted or expected? What good gifts have even separated you from the giver of gifts, God himself? What good gifts are getting in the way of your time alone with God each and every morning? Verse nine says, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. The word here, he is angry, it's, it's inflamed. He is irritated. He is irritated and hot. Sometimes my son will get angry at something and he'll say, I'm just hot. And I was like, I want to fan him. He goes, not that kind of hot, dad, I'm just mad. We often have a passion for things 
more than we do for people. In fact, we have more passion. And think about the chaos that takes place over a cracked iPhone screen. The world is ending. I will move heaven and earth to get to somebody that can fix my screen. I debated to say in this, I'm going to say it. Because I'm done after this week and pastor's coming back. Some people have more passion for a World Cup game than they do the word of the Lord. Now that wasn't the part I'm worried about. This is the part I'm worried about. Last week I got several just comments that there were individuals watching the World Cup game in this room during the sermon. Now, I don't say that because it's an indictment. It's just, to me, that's a plant-centered life where you take the good gift of soccer, a sporting event that many, many people around the world love, but you allow that to be the central focus in this 30 minutes or hour that you have where we are exalting the name of Christ. To me, that is a plant-centered life. When we live self-absorbed lives, it robs us of seeing, experiencing, and knowing the love of God toward us and toward others. And when we have a poorly developed understanding of our own sin, we forget that God has miraculously worked in my life and in your life. And if not for the mercy of God acting upon us, then we too would be stuck in sin, careening toward an eternity without God in hell. You see, we can never forget what God has done for us. And when we recognize the grace shown toward us, we naturally want to share that grace to others around us and to the point that we would, we would even be a part of God's story of changing someone else's ending. You see, our compassion for others, our compassion is fueled, is furthered, it's extended based on what we know of ourselves, that we are sinners. And what we know about God is he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger. And when God works, how will we navigate the future? Will we navigate it in light of the grace of God toward us? Or will we act like a petulant kid who simply has lost his pacifier? When God works, how will you react? Will you get angry? How will you respond? God, just, it's better for me to die than to live. How will you navigate the future? Will you do it in light of God's grace? Then the fourth question is this. How will your story end? How will your story in this room end? And I say, hey, listen, I've been in church a long time, but your story is still being developed the Lord Jesus is still holding all things in his hand and he desires for you to be a part of his perfect plan. Look in verse 10. And the Lord said to Jonah, you, Jonah, you pity the plan for which you did not labor nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in the night in 24 hours. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city? in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. We see that this is a reference probably to children and also much cattle. God takes Jonah to school here. Look what he does. God says, I nurtured, I planted, I watered, I weeded, I cheered for, I fertilized, and I watched that plant grow. What, what did you do to love that plant so much? That one day, Jack and the Beanstalk plant, 24 hours, it rose overnight. 
What did you, why do you love it so much? And then he, God says, but Nineveh, but Nineveh is a great city. It's a monstrous city. It's big. There are people everywhere. There's 120,000 children that don't know their left hand from their right. I have loved them. Over a thousand plus years, this city has existed, Jonah. I have pursued them. I have cherished them. I have watched them sin and fall down. I have watched them get up and fall down again. They have broken my heart over and over, God tells Jonah. But I have still loved them. And I've longed for them to come home. I've longed to have a relationship with these people for a thousand years or more. And you care more for a plant? A 24-hour plant that you did not create? Now, this morning, we love and we share and we serve because of verse 2. Because God is gracious and merciful, he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's why we serve. We love God because God is love. God is love and because God is love, we have the capacity to love as well. And because of that great love, that is why we show compassion to others. And I want to take just a moment right here in the middle of the sermon just simply to say this. Yesterday as CP serves... There was, there was love being shown, not for people that necessarily, there were people that were working on cars, not because they love cars, because they love people that drive those cars. And yesterday I spoke with a young single mom. She may be in this room today. Uh, she, she said, would you pray for me? And I was having a conversation with her out. And she said that she attended Crosspoint and she was enjoying the Jonah message. And, and she said, would you pray for me? Because uh, honestly, I don't, I've moved here into town and I don't have a lot of support. I have two kids, a busy job. I'm running fast. And, and I asked, I said, hey, listen, can I, I'd be glad to pray for you. And I did. I said, but hey, listen, uh, are you involved in the church merely beyond just simply attending worship services and, and hearing a sermon? And she said, no. And I told her, I just, and we had a great conversation. I said, you know, my wife and I made a decision a long time ago, a conscious decision that we would orient our lives around the things of God at church. Our kids are here, our friends are here, our support system is here, our service is here, our accountability is here. And I told her, just would you simply consider getting, taking one more step, getting involved, finding a place of service? You see, she's at a fork in the middle of her road. And the story, story will go one of two ways. Either she's going to go one way or the other. But, but the same story and the same fork you and I are, are dealing with as well. Some of you are not involved in this church at all. Some of you are coming and you, you've been coming for some time. And honestly, you're not angry. You're not like Jonah. You're, ang you're not angry at God. It's just been one of those things that you've said to the side. You know the character and the very nature of God just like Jonah. But for some reason, you just haven't served or haven't served in some time. My wife, uh, Stephanie, she comes to the first service every week, usually sits over here. She's an introvert. She's not loud. She likes to kind of do things uh, kind of behind the scenes. She serves every week in the second hour. She serves every week in the preschool area. She serves in the two- and three-year-old room. And she, she's, a, she's a heart nurse. That's what her profession is. That's what her education is. She's a heart nurse. Uh, she, doesn't, 
she's not a preschool teacher. It's not something, oh, that makes sense. She's a, she's a heart nurse, therefore go work with preschoolers. No, she, she doesn't have preschool kids at home any longer. But does she serve because she loves two and three-year-olds? Well, the answer is yes and no. She loves critical care patients with bad hearts, but she, knows, she loves God and she knows God loves those preschoolers and those young moms that drop them off so they can hear a message of salvation and grace. Brent Patterson, I'll brag on him just a minute. He's one of our, our young guys and he, he, he's a small group leader in our high school ministry. And last week he taught for Riley as Riley was out getting married. And you know, he stood, stood there and taught our high school kids. Is it because he doesn't have anything else to do? Is it because he just loves high school? No, he's a, he's a financial guy. You know, you say, hey, he knows God loves those high schoolers and he loves God. So, hey, where can I be used? So you may say, well, I'm busy. I, I got a lot going on. Brent's busy as well. He has two preschoolers at home. One sweet little girl this past week had surgery on her ears for the second time. He is a demanding job, a stay-at-home wife. I'm sorry, a working wife. He has just taken exams for financial licenses. He's busy too, but he loves God. And he says, hey, listen, I'm gonna go because I love God. And sometimes you say, well, that's not my gift mix. I don't like children. I don't like preschoolers. I'm not good with high schoolers. I'm middle schoolers. I can't figure them out. They just kind of stare blankly into space. You may say, hey, I don't have the spiritual gift of service. To which I then say, forget what your gifts are and serve the giver of the gifts first. And when you love God above all else, what happens is we learn to love those who God puts us in front of. Why do I tell you this? Because the fall's coming, and in every church in America, there is opportunities in every church to serve. There is opportunities to serve in this church, and we find a place to serve not because there's a need. It's because people more, matter more than plants and unhuman objects or inhuman objects or non-human objects. So we don't serve because there's a need or because it's convenient or because we want to. We serve because we love God. And God loves preschoolers. He loves children. He loves middle schoolers and high schoolers. And he loves guests when people are shaking your hand on the way in. Find a place today as a result of this last message to say, I can be like Jonah. I can find a place to where God is working and I'm going to join him. Perhaps you in this room will say, hey, listen, instead of slipping out that back door, I'm going to slip out the side door and I'm going to serve in one of the areas, the second service. You'll never regret it. I promise you'll never regret getting involved in people's lives. And you know what? You say, well, what if I'm not good at it? We'll tell you. We'll tell you. You're no good at this. We got to move you somewhere else. But give us a chance to say, hey, listen, I can be about what God is desiring for me in my life. It's not about the gift, but the giver of the gift. Today, in just a few moments, that little card I had visitors fill out, you can fill out your name and you can go to the connection point table and you can say, hey, I don't know where I can be used, but my yes is on the table. I'm not gonna be like Jonah and I'm not gonna say, hey, there's other things I could be doing. In fact, I'm gonna go from the very opposite direction. I'm gonna get plugged in. I'm going to greet. I'm gonna help with children. I'm gonna help with any manner of things. Perhaps there's a camera operator. Perhaps there's somebody who knows audio or technical or something or a singer that's used to said, I can use the gift of God that I have been given. 
You see, serving in your church is not an option for a believer. It may be something that you have to put down for a period of time. I get that. But there are some of you who have put that down for some time. It's time for you to pick that back up this morning. Do you remember that the beginning of the message, I've alluded to it a couple times throughout. I told you about the books I like to read as a child. That Jonah would be a great choose-your-own-adventure story. Where the ending is always up to the reader to making decisions and choices. This morning, you have two choices. We all have two choices. The first one is, will you follow your own will? Will you say, hey, listen, God, I, I appreciate what you're doing here, but I want to go the exact opposite direction. I'm going to go where I want to go because it's convenient. It's, it's what I want, God. And you know what? I'm going to write my own story. Or the second option is that you follow the will of God wherever, whenever, and however he chooses. What choices you make today will determine the ending of your story tomorrow. Now in closing, how does the book of Jonah end? How does the book end? It ends honestly with a cliffhanger. And that's what's so mesmerizing and frustrating about this book. is It ends with a cliffhanger. It ends left to your imagination. What happens? Did, was Mo, Jonah still mad? Or did he finally act right? Did he finally straighten up? We, we have a potential clue. I don't know the answer, but here's a potential clue. Is that Jonah is credited with writing this book. And this may be, if he wrote the book... This may be the greatest miracle in the entire story. Is that Jonah actually wrote down these things about his own life. You see, most of us wouldn't write down and publish our worst moments. But if Jonah is the one who is credited with his story, he wrote down indeed his worst moments. It is not a favorable picture of Jonah. In fact, it's a glorious picture of a God who continues to pursue Jonah. And knowing what we know now, after five weeks of looking at Jonah's life, that God is all-powerful, he is all-loving, that he pours out compassion on those who are lost and sinful and fleeing from the very presence of God, how will our story this morning end? What choices will you make? We can either turn to page 29 and sit under the sage tree and miss what God is doing, or we can turn to page 89 and engage in God's plan, join his mission, submit to serving others, and share our faith faithfully. You see, this morning, my prayer for my family and yours is that you would allow God to rewrite your story according to his will and his way. And I promise this morning, you will never forget it. The ultimate question in life is this, how will your story end? Yesterday, I was so proud of you guys. You took, many of you took these little cards that we've been talking about for five weeks now, your best news cards. And there were hundreds of these that were passed out now, was it me that encouraged you to do it? No, it was God that said, hey, listen, I love you and you love God back to the point that you said, hey, I love you enough to share with you the good news of a gracious and compassionate God. And you see these little, these little, these little pamphlets we gave out yesterday to hundreds of people all across this area 
starts with this idea of Isaiah 59 two, and it says, your iniquities, your sin have separated you from God and your sins have hidden his face from you. The bad news is that we have all sinned. We have fallen short of the glory of God. That's the bad news is we've all sinned. The, good, the, the worst news is even worse is on our own, there is nothing we can do to remove our sin. There's nothing we can do about it. And the wages of that sin is death. But the good news, what you shared, hundreds of people heard this message yesterday. The good news is that Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He died on a cross and shed his blood, became a substitute for us. And the best news, the best news of all is this eternal life and forgiveness is a free gift. It's a free gift of God through Jesus Christ who became a substitute for you. In Romans 10, 9, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth, how do you, how do you accept this free gift? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. You see, this compassionate God still pursues today. And our Nineveh may be across the street. Our Nineveh may be across the aisle. Our Nineveh may be across a lunchroom. But our Nineveh is still as real to us as it was to Jonah. And we have to trust God's plan and God's ways. This morning, would you bow your heads all across the room? Unbeliever, this morning, I'm going to ask, if you walked in and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, would you allow God to rewrite the ending of your story? Would you allow him to rewrite the ending of your story based on your choice this morning? Believe and be saved. Believe in a righteous God sending his son Jesus to die on a cross for you. And then believer in this morning, this morning, in this moment, would you allow God to use your choice this morning for you to get involved in your choice, in your church, and to change your ending? Would you pray with me right now? Lord Jesus, for those of you who do not know Jesus, just pray, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and give me hope for eternity. Show me an instrument of grace in my life even now. Forgive me of my sin and come into my heart and give me eternal life with you in heaven. And believer, would you just simply pray, hey, give me an opportunity to serve in some capacity because I love God. I know his nature. I know his character. And would you just simply pray, God, you change my story. Lord Jesus, even in these moments, I pray that you would change our church as you have changed me in the last couple of days and weeks. Father, you do your work even now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now listen, if you walked in just a, a little bit ago, you should have received one of these worship guides. I want you to take this card, some of you. Some of you first-time guests, just simply make sure we have a record of your visit. Some of you just may want to put your name down and a contact information and say, I want to serve somewhere. And allow us simply to contact you and say, hey, where do you think a good fit would be for you to be? We've got kids that will be coming, descending on our, our campus next week as people in these vacations and they come back to church. And we would love to plug you into what God is doing. Would you consider doing that? 
And this morning, if you were a first-time guest or perhaps you came in and you made a decision for Christ, there's a couple of little bullet points down there we'd love for you to check. Today, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior for the very first time. Today, I want to be baptized by immersion. I want to show the church what I did, or I want to become a Crosspoint member. Listen, would you simply take that, fill that out, walk right outside in the lobby on your way out today, and simply say, hey, listen, I want to give this to you, and one of our volunteers, one of those people that are faithfully serving will take that, look at it, and they will know exactly what to do. Now, listen, as you do that today, would you just give us an opportunity to follow back up with you? Let me say this as Bruce comes out. Listen, I want to thank you for the opportunity to simply preach. I want to say thank you for your kindness over these last couple of weeks for coming and showing up. My personal life and my devotional life has been strong. It's been fun to just walk through the passages. I've benefited more than certainly the folks that have heard it. And I want you to know that as Dr. Merritt comes back next week, it's a privilege and a pressure to fill this pulpit. But you know what? Your staff is working hard. Your staff loves you. And your staff is one that prays for you each and every week. So just know I'm grateful for you. Thank you for allowing me to preach over these last couple of weeks. Bruce, you come. Would you guys join me in thanking Mike?